This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, Reducing Stigma Through Courageous Conversations. Tonight is part of our series on yoga and healing. I'm going to be speaking with Deirdre Fay about some of the limits of yoga for sexual abuse survivors. The context for this series is now estimated that about 20 million Americans are practicing yoga in one form or another. Some just because they love the exercise, but also some because they report that there are tremendous psychological and even spiritual benefits in their life. So we've been examining yoga in relation to depression, anxiety, and trauma. And tonight's focus is going to be on the impact for sexual abuse survivors. Deirdre Fay is a licensed social worker in Arlington, Massachusetts. And she has practiced yoga. She's lived at the Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health in the 80s and 90s. She's developed courses and workshops on the skills for becoming safely embodied. And she offers these courses both online and all over the world. Deirdre has also taught yoga and meditation classes at McLean Hospital on the dissociative disorder units, which are primarily housed by trauma survivors. Welcome to Safe Space, Deirdre. Hi, Anne. I want to say welcome back because you've been my guest before and I love that conversation so much. I'm delighted to have you back. You have so generously offered to tell a little bit of your own story when you were living at a yoga center of how practicing yoga on a daily basis, how in that context you discovered this unexpected trauma history of your own. And I wondered if you'd begin by telling us that story. Well, I had no idea that I had a trauma history. And Kripalu, at the time that I was living there in the 80s and 90s, was a, uh, we were a real ashram. You know, we woke up at 4.15. We were doing uh, meditation and yoga from at 4.30 to 7. You know, then we had breakfast. You know, we were very structured. And we did a lot of karma yoga, which is a, a service yoga, as well as practicing postures and uh, pranayama and meditation. But I, uh, we were also doing a lot of exploration around psychology and how to weave together yoga and psychotherapy. And one of the wonderful Gestalt teachers, Rachel Breyer, was there doing a workshop with us and teaching us about Gestalt therapy. And I volunteered blithely to do a demo. And... Oh, my God. It was like a bomb went off in my psyche. And it, you know, when the dust settled, which took a while, I I didn't know what happened. You know, this is really before we had known much about trauma. And I just, I was perplexed because literally it was a before and after. I was able to, before training for triathlons, I was running many, many miles a day. I was on my bike uh, doing really hard cycling. I was swimming. I was. It was an intense athletic endeavor as well as doing a lot of yoga and a lot of meditation. And then when this bubble burst, I, you know, all I wanted to do was <laughs> I just wanted to stay in my bed. I did not want to do anything, and I couldn't get over the difference. I couldn't get over it. I, would, I was stunned, actually, that I was brought to my knees. Mm. And then I started uh, 
really like looking around and talking to people and trying to figure out what happened. And I really believe, believed in the past tense and believe now in the power of yoga, meditation, the spiritual life, to transform us. I, I, I have complete commitment to that. And I, I was trying to figure out why, when all the great texts will talk about how you can use these practices to overcome suffering. How? Why I was struggling? Why I couldn't do postures? I didn't want to. I didn't want to get up. I didn't want to be seen. I didn't want to move. I didn't want to stir the pot. Is now what I understand. But at the time, I didn't know. So you're offering your demo. You have a person who's combining Gestalt therapy with yoga, and in the midst of you receiving this session. When you say a bomb went off, do you mean that you suddenly had a memory that you didn't have before? Is that what you You know what we're understanding now so much is about implicit communications, the non-narrative body pieces that is usually what is held with trauma and attachment issues. I, I can have all those words for it now. At the time, I didn't. My body did a reenactment with a skilled therapist, but still, my body went through a reenactment. When you say that, do you mean like your body, like it was as if you were reliving something that you didn't have words yes. for? Yes. I could feel in, like a frozenness in my body. I, I felt the wanting to hide. All these were ways it, that it all got encoded in me in the past. I couldn't make sense of it. I didn't have any framework for understanding that when, when it happened. So you have this overwhelming uh, physical experience. It's like a memory that you were reliving that was just awful, it sounds. Totally. Totally, totally. awful. And it, it just rocked you. I mean, it just, here it you like were this. Right. So you yeah. were this unbelievably physically competent, physically active person. And after this happens, you can't, you don't even want to move at all. It's like you don't even want yeah. to. It, was that yeah. partly because yeah. you didn't want to feel it again? You know, it's so hard at the moment. It's so hard. I, I probably, I didn't want to feel. I didn't want to, I did not want to stir the pot. I was trying to hold on to whatever kind of structure I could. I was trying to freeze the moment so it wouldn't gallop on without me. Yeah. And did you have anyone that you were telling about this that could help make sense of it? Or was it all sort of well, too Well, you know, Kripal was amazing at that time because it was in a workshop the therapist, Rachel, was fabulous. She was really committed to working it through with me. Kripalu put me into therapy, you know, understanding that yoga wasn't necessarily the way to address that, that I needed an internal psychic structure building around that. So I had tremendous support. That was really helpful. I, and I saw the interplay between yoga and meditation and psychotherapy. You need both. Mm -hmm. So there you are, you've had this bomb go off in your life, you're, you're, you're in a place where you have tremendous support, and yet I hear what you're saying is though you deeply believe that yoga is this sort of source of transformation, in fact, in that moment anyway, it, you couldn't, it wasn't the, the thing that was going to help you the most, is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, what I now believe is that that bomb going off was the result of the practices easing and softening my boundaries, ah. softening my defenses. And that is the whole point. The whole point of any spiritual practice is to create freedom. And, but, you know, it stinks when you're in the middle of it. 
(laughs) But that's the point, is to clean and purify and clear anything that's keeping us from being free. And that was, without a doubt, keeping me from any kind of freedom. I see. So your understanding of why this came up in the context of yoga was that the practice of yoga had softened your defenses. Yes. Yes. And it almost makes me feel like, do you think there needs to be a warning for people practicing yoga? Like, be careful because this may soften your defenses. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in informed consent, right? Right? (laughs) Exactly. You know, it's, it's like, how do we hold people and care for people because life is meant to disrupt it? Uh, so that we can be free. But it's, you know, our our culture, our Western culture is to stay in control, to keep things neat and tidy, to not let anyone know we're in trouble or in pain. And so it's really antithetical to the whole practice of yoga and meditation, which is meant to clean us and clear us. Well, and of course, listening to you so far anyway, the initial experience is not one of increased freedom. No, no. So horrible, I, what I mean, no, I mean, what horrible, I'm, horrible. Yeah. So, yes. so clear. We're going to make sure before we end this interview that you'll tell me how you, how you know, the journey past this initial stage. But the initial stage, <laughs> it sounds like, was just devastating. Yes, it was. And and so, tell me more. So, you didn't want to move. You didn't want to stir the pot. And so, in fact, did you find that you couldn't do yoga at all, or did you find that there were some things you could do? Well, you know, I'm trying to think back to those times. I, I did not go back to the kind of practices I did, was doing. I was very able to do very strong and sturdy and, um, you know, very powerful practices, and I couldn't do it. I, I had to do very gentle, very calm, soothing kind of postures. The pranayama, the breathing I was doing was just really just to calm and soothe rather than activate in any way. And this is part of what I learned. Is Like now when I talk to people, I talk about taking little sips of breath. You know, at that, that time we were all talking about taking long, deep breaths and deep belly breathing and three-part breath and all that. And I said, don't do that. All that is going to activate. And But I had to learn that because we didn't have any of those uh, ideas back then. And when you say all that would activate, activate what? Like activate the anxiety, activate the the memory. What what do you mean? All of it. It stirs the the you know the psychic pot. I see. And so, which is the point of it? The true practice of yoga is meant. Right, but in that moment, so here you are, sort of with this newly discovered history of trauma that you're trying to make sense of, and in that moment, the last thing you want is activation. That's right. Okay. Got yeah. it. And I started learning like how we hold our breath. And this is true for any kind, not even somebody who's not doing yoga. Is we, we're managing our breath because we're managing our physiological arousal. And so how do you learn to skillfully manage your breath so that it's to your benefit instead of overwhelming or overactivating you? That's so fascinating. Because so many, so many relaxation practices use the breath as a way to calm yeah. ourselves down. But you're saying instinctively people hold their breath as a way to calm themselves down. Yes. Or to try to kind of control things. All the time. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, there's, there's wonderful um, pranayama practices 
called kumbak, where you actually hold the breath. You can hold it on the inhalation or the exhalation. And I started playing with that with people. How do you use that? So maybe when you're really anxious, you take a little breath in and then you hold it. And then you exhale. Or you exhale on on the out-breath. And you begin to see how you can, instead of just having your physiology do it out of a reactive, defensive way, how do you do it so that you begin to manage and work with your arousal uh, so that it works for you? And are people different or are there some general principles, like that in general holding it during the in-breath does one thing and holding it during the out-breath does the other? I don't know. I, I, ne- I never have a... I, I tell people there's no right way to do any of this. So I see. So I you're wanting them to study people, their own experience. Yes. I want, yes, beautiful. Try it out. See what works, what doesn't work. Invent your own. Teach me about what you know inside yourself. Let's uh-huh. do it as collaboratively as possible. So you teach that you develop this whole course on becoming safely embodied, and you teach these very concrete skills, and it sounds like one of them is breathing practices. Is I, that- do th- I do some of that, yeah. In the beginning, I tried to do a lot of pranayama, a lot of postures, a lot of asanas, a lot of meditation. And what I found is it freaked people out. So I had to slow it down. What I thought was slow, I slowed it down even further and slowed it down even further. And then I began to see that it's more about structure building. It's how do you help train somebody's mind and heart and body to be able to be with themselves in the experience. Really, how do you become safely embodied? How do you be there with yourself so that you can be in your body and do do a posture? And know, begin to know. How do you know when you're getting triggered? How do you know when you're getting activated in any way? These were simple skills that people just didn't know. How to, be, how to notice when they were being triggered. Mm-hmm. And then how do you work with it? And so how do you pe- help people notice when they're being triggered? What do you do to help with that? Well, there's two things. Well, there's many pieces. But what I say is the two skills of yoga and meditation are essential. And they are being able to concentrate and train the mind and be able to witness and observe. Those two skills will hold people. If they can learn that, that will make a huge difference at any point. Say you're in a flashback experience of some kind. If you're just being thrown about by the tumult of that experience, you're lost. But if you can be in a flashback and say, at the same time, concentrate your mind on where you're going and what you're doing, and just keep training your mind on a one-pointed focus, you're going to be able to walk your way through that without being as laid down or laid low for as long as before. If you can be in that experience and say, oh, I'm triggered, I'm triggered, I'm triggered. I see, so that's the witness, that's the witness. You're witnessing, you're beginning to create some separation. So those are the two essential skills. Then after that, I do a lot with people on separating what are the facts and what are the feelings. You know, so the facts are like right now, you and I are just talking. I'm talking right now, you're listening. In a minute, you're going to be talking, I'm going to be listening. The fact is, we're talking on Safe Space Radio. Those are really simple facts. When you reduce things to just the simple facts and you take away all the feelings, the arousal will decrease. Yeah. And then when you do that, then you can begin, once you've got yourself back and you're back in your body, in your heart, and your mind, 
Then you can begin to look at what else is there. Then I began to see people didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what was happening in their body. What's a thought? What's a feeling? What's a body sensation? You know. So then I had them hold a posture and just stand in a mountain pose, which is a very, quote-unquote, simple posture, and just report out what's happening as they're standing. What thoughts are you having? What feelings are you having? What body sensations? As a way of training people to begin to see all that's going on inside and begin to make distinctions rather than just having a big one big glom of a something. Dear to listening to you, you know, on the one hand, these sound like such obvious things. Like I can imagine mm-hmm. listening and thinking, well, duh, doesn't everyone know how to do that? But in fact, it's really amazing how how many of us don't actually yeah. know how to do this or, or know how to have the courage to share it with someone else. Mm-hmm. You might be very well mm-hmm. aware of what we're noticing, but to actually share it and to feel mm-hmm. safe enough to tell, report out what this is yeah, what I'm feeling. Yeah, that's what I began to see over and over. And, you know, when I teach the courses online or in person, I just, it, it really, I'm like, because I take so much of this for granted, I think, what's the point? Nobody will, this doesn't, isn't going to matter to anybody. And then to see how much impact it has on people. It's, it's, it's absolutely beautiful, beautiful. See people get some control and sense. I, I used to teach these basic things and then take people into a yoga or meditation class that I would teach ongoingly and watch people be able to, over time, be able to sit in a meditation for an hour, whereas they might not have been able to tolerate two minutes. And what is it that makes, I, I get sort of, if we're talking about sexual abuse, I get that being present in the body, as you would put it, being safely embodied, can be very challenging because there's all these feelings in the body. What What is it that makes meditation challenging after sexual abuse? It's really the same thing because you're, you're stirring the pot. All these practices are designed to do that. But if you can learn to concentrate the mind, keep a steady focus, or and to witness and observe what comes on, you can sit through anything. You don't get hooked by it. You watch your arousal. You welcome it. You love it. You're, you know, with internal family systems, working with our parts, it's the same kind of thing. You learn to witness and observe, love and welcome what goes on in your body. And over time, that becomes easier and easier. And so I think it might be useful to use the word, to just clarify, what you're using the word arousal, and we're using it in the context of talking about sexual abuse. I think Good it might be point. useful if you explained what you're meaning by the word arousal, because it's Physiological not... Physiological hyperarousal, overstimulation in the body, the nervous system, call it freaked out. Freaked out. Okay, that's really what... So you're saying manage your arousal. You're really meaning, like, manage how freaked out you're feeling inside, how panicky, yes. Yes. how overwhelmed, how heart-pounding, short of breath. Yeah, really good clarification. I have some yeah. short and simple videos on my website where people can watch it, just psychoeducational videos of teaching about like what's it like to be triggered and how to deal with overwhelming emotions. Actually, that, I'm going to put that on the web. And that's www.dfay.com, right? Yeah. For people who want to hear that. Okay, that's great. So in some ways, where what I'm hearing you say is here you were, this intense yogi, this memory comes up, you find that yoga, in fact, is too triggering for you. It stirs up too much. It gets you to too much of a place of freak out yourself. And you learn from your own personal experience that the only way to come back into your body is to move really slowly with these really much But you know what I want to say, Anne? 
and this actually moves me to tears. <laughs> so I, it's I didn't do it myself. It is the practice of yoga. It was my belief. Like I have tremendous faith in it. There's the Patanjali Yoga Sutras are age, age thousands of years old, and they talk. They detail out what happens in the body. Now they're not talking about trauma in any way, and they're probably addressing a much more developed self-structure than I was and maybe am right now, but they call it the science of yoga, and it is the truth in my experience. So I held on to that with both hands, my heart, my my mind, and that is what got me through. So tell me more about that. What do you mean by that? Well, they'll, like they'll say that Patanjali talked about how the whole point was to turn from being outwardly focused to inwardly focused. That was the whole aim and process of yoga, to withdraw the consciousness, to develop the consciousness inside. So I was like, okay, here I'm getting triggered. Here I'm getting activated. How do I go in? There's a a word, pratyahara, where you go inside, you withdraw your senses, and you start finding who is yourself, who is your soul in there. Returning to the source. Yoga means union. How do you return to your to your true source, to, to all that is, to the to the Atma, to the yoga inside? That and I thought I that's what that was what was compelling to me. So when you say it brings me to tears, I didn't do this myself. What you what at first I thought you meant like I didn't use these practices myself, but more what I'm hearing you say is, no, no, these are not, I'm not the originator of some of this. It was yes. really these ancient yes. yoga teachings. Yes. I see, I see. Okay. So I'd love to hear more about that. So this first one I hear you say is it really brought your reference point, your, your, mm-hmm. your focus to inward, and you clung yeah. to this teaching like a lifeline. What, what yeah. else was it in yoga teaching that helped you well it's and again i think it's more universal yoga as not just a brand of yoga but yoga is also similar in concept to meditations a lot of what the buddha taught about suffering turning your energy inside there's you know of course differences and approaches i um, taught a workshop in south africa right after the apartheid and reconciliation and I called it weaving stories grand enough in which to live your life. And mm. the idea was that if we live in a small world where we're traumatized and horrified, we can't, there's nothing we can do. But as we open our cosmology and say, well, what is larger? What is holding me as I'm going through this? Some would call it God. Some would call it universe, source energy, higher power. Whatever word you want to, there's something, nature love, whatever it is that's holding you, is how do we become identified with that as well as whatever suffering that we're walking through. And that's what makes a difference. And I just recently posted something about spirituality on my blog and people were responding about it. And it's how do you name that? How do you become, how do you believe that there's something bigger holding you and caring for you? To me, that's so important in the whole journey. And during the 80s and 90s, we were whitewashing all of spirituality out of yoga and meditation and really cleaning it up. And I just don't think it's it, we can do it any other way. We have to have something. We have to 
anyway, I get very passionate about it. We have to believe in something. We have to believe in something larger than ourselves. And psychologically, it's also true. It's native to us. It's attachment issues. Part of the reason trauma happens is we didn't have this safe base, the secure attachment we needed. That's what held us or should have held us through it, but we didn't have it. So our bodies are natively, we're mammals, we're programmed to reach out and move toward proximity and safety and security from somebody older and wiser so that we can calm our nervous systems. (laughs) And as an adult, yes, we have that with people, but there's the existential longing and need for something larger as well. I read that blog, Deirdre, and part of what I touched me about it was that you said for trauma survivors, believing in something greater than yourself is particularly difficult because you feel already abandoned by or abused by someone who was mm-hmm. maybe older and wiser, supposed to be older and wiser. Mm-hmm. And so believing in a God or God figure of, you know, can be very challenging or to even surrender, you know, to a power greater than yourself can feel like a really dangerous thing to do when surrender is associated with violation. Yes. Yes, and and I and the, the healing that people go through when they when they realize uh that brokenness and then they move through that and realize that they weren't broken and they can claim their own native love and their heart and their love and their longing. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so connecting. It's exquisite. Okay, so let me let me let me try to understand what you're saying. So I hear you saying that the the way through that dilemma of being someone who was violated, say as a child by an older figure, and how that impacts their capacity to practice any kind of spiritual approach. Say, what I hear you saying is that a way to do that is by getting that no, even though they were violated and wounded, they were not in fact broken. Yes, and that and as that's they, what yoga says to us. How does yoga union. say that to Yoga us? is union. You return to your atma, your soul. You return to yourself. Trauma ruptures us from that contact with ourselves as source, as divine, as love. We stop believing in people. We feel betrayed and abandoned. And the whole purpose of yoga, if, if for this conversation, the purpose of yoga is to return us to that unbroken state and to remind us of who we really are. And how does it do that, Deirdre? I know we only have just in one minute. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> how does yoga remind, how does it repair and help us reconnect with who we really are? Oh, golly gee, Anne. I know, I'm so putting big. you on the spot, Deirdre. It's so big. But when you touch that space, when you, and I, it's a guarantee, when any of us touch that space, we return to wholeness. Then we forget, then we the practice, and it's practice, Patanjali said, it's practice over lifetimes to return to that state so it becomes natural to us again. But that is possible for us to do it. And if you read on the blog, you heard some people who, people who have been in very dissociated states and very dissociated self-systems who can more readily and easily return and capture and remember themselves. It's extraordinary. On that note, basically this conversation is an appetizer. So if you want to find out more about Deirdre's work, I understand you're coming to Portland, actually March 1st through 2nd, to offer one of these Becoming Safely Embodied courses for helping professionals. Is that right? 
Yes. So if yeah. somebody wants to find out about that or sign up for it, how do they do? What do they do? Probably the easiest thing is to send me an email at dfay at dfay.com, and I will uh, forward the information or send them. And I'm also going to do a workshop on embodied attachment, so the same kind of thing. Okay, great. So if someone wants to find out more, I know you offer individual consultation, you create retreats, you do courses, you travel all over to do so. They can find you through your website, which is www.dfay.com. That's right. Deirdre Vey, thank you again so much for being Oh, you're the best, Anne. My thanks tonight, too, to Jen Hodgson for mixing the sound, to Maurice Lennon for the music, and to Deb Cook, who is a Kripalu yoga teacher and the consultant for this series. She's also the founder of Yoga in Maine, and she offers classes, retreats, and workshops in beautiful places in Maine and beyond. If you'd like to listen to this show in its entirety or email the link to a friend, please go to our website, which is www.safespaceradio.com. You can sign up there to get a weekly link to this week's show. You can also download us from iTunes. You can like us on Facebook. Coming up next is Local Solutions.